It's fruit by the foot. Are you joking? <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> did you not see me? Did you actually put it in your juice? No. Oh. I moved it. I did it for the bit. I'm going to have it after, so I'm not <laughs> chewing. I thought you put it in your juice. No. That would be weird and slimy. No, but gushers are okay. Yeah. The candy good. that's supposed to be weird and slimy. Listen, gushers are thicker, and it's a different. You texture. like you like a you like the thick ones when they gush. I like them thick and juicy. This is another episode <laughs> of soon to be a major motion podcast. Uh, we are your hosts, Billy Beck and Cody Beck, and we're here to talk about a movie that was based on a book or something. Yeah! That's what this podcast is. But before we do that, how have you been since our last recording? I have been very good. Doing very well. Don't really think anything has changed. Living your boring old life. Living my boring old life. Playing The Sims. And running into the table. Kicking tables. (laughs) What about you? What have you been up to? What adventures have you gone on? Oh, adventures were had. Twelve hours after we finished recording the last episode, I was on an airplane on my way back to uh, Philadelphia International to visit with my mother. And uh, more uh, specifically, my grandmother, who turned 90 years old. That is an accomplishment. On the 8th of January. So they threw a little party for her. I flew in from California, we had some family fly up from South Carolina, and everyone got together for three, four hours in a church basement and looked at pictures and ate food and shared stories, and it was actually a lovely time. Of course, right at the start of the party, it started to snow, big chunky flakes coming down, which turned into freezing rain. And then as we were leaving the party, it turned back into the big chunky flakes of snow, And my dear sweet mother, who refuses to replace the tires on her car because she's getting a new car soon, went off the road with my grandmother and I inside. Luckily, it was just slightly off the road. Didn't hit any trees or nothing. I tried to help and almost put the car in a ditch. It wasn't going anywhere. To be fair, the not road that you were not on... Oh, literally my grandmother's driveway. Stone Road up a hill in the woods. You live, you grew up in a fucking fairy tale. So, because of uh, my grandmother living so close to where I grew up, uh, basically, long story short, they had five acres of land and five kids. So, an acre of land went to each kid on the side of this hill in Pennsylvania. Were there maybe four minutes and my cousin shows up 
and he's in a panic because his dad also went off the road. Why are none of these people prepared for snow? You live in Pennsylvania. And we knew it was going to snow, too. So shortly after that, my uncle shows up, grabs my grandmother, takes her up the hill, grabs us, takes us up the hill uh, to my mom's house. It's around 7.30 p.m. here. So now it's time to eat dinner because we're a little hungry. It's been a while. And all of the, literally six crock pots worth of food were in the trunk of my mom's car at the bottom of the hill. That was supposed to be our dinner that night. But we found a few untouched frozen meatballs so I could eat. And around 9 o'clock, we got a call from my grandmother that someone dug the car out and it was in her driveway. So we walked down the hill in the snow to gather the vehicle. I drive it up the hill. <laughs> I get stuck just at the top of the hill because my mom was higher up on the hill than my grandmother. Uh, I get stuck up there, can't quite get it over the last hump, so my mom runs to the garage, grabs old carpet scraps, tucks them under the tire, and we get that sucker in. Of course she just has old carpet scraps. For when you get stuck on the hill in the snow. My dad had a cardboard box. Pennsylvania, we do this. We know this. Then why don't you have correct tires? Because she's trading in the car. She's gonna die! Every time I go to visit her, she has car issues. The last time, I am I call her and she's at the cell phone lot and she's in a panic because her car won't start because she killed the battery. So she has to get jumped in the cell lot at Philly International. Not She has to get a battery jump, not the other kind of jump. Not the kind of jump not, that... The, the, good, that, the kind of jump she wants. Not the kind that Pat got in Philadelphia in the last episode. No. Well, he didn't in the movie, but that's besides the point. Um, yeah, so anyway. I had a lot of fears about going back because of who I am as a person and who my family are as people. Uh, don't necessarily mesh in a lot of ways. Spoiler alert, we're a lot more open on this podcast than we are to a lot of people in real life. <laughs> my mom don't know I'm queer. Uh, <laughs> so... I was worried that some things would be said, and I was not going to hold back. But nothing happened. I'm still in speaking terms with my family. You're still in the will. Still in the will, uh, which I learned a lot about that on that car ride home from the airport. (laughs) But that's not for here. Uh, I'm back two days. I landed on Sunday. Tuesday, I get to work. I don't feel too great. I'm at work for maybe four hours. An hour of which is spent in the bathroom. I could have shit through a keyhole without touching brass. I got a stomach bug. It wasn't COVID, but it knocked me on my fucking ass for three days. I didn't eat for three days. I thought you were going to die. If you caught my appearance on the uh, lit stream with Shades of Blue, that was at the tail end of it. And I'm like mopping up sweat because like that's the most energy I put out in three days. To be fair, you get very sweaty when we podcast as well. I've got like the stack of sweat rags in my little pod corner over here. We're good. We're golden. Everything's set. But yeah, I had a nice little stomach bug. But healthy now. Feeling back 100%. Ready to uh, talk about the Chronicles of Narnia. Low-key, I feel like it wasn't actually an illness. It was just stress because I didn't get sick, and I'm normally the one that gets everything you bring home. True. I had that same thought. If it was just stress, I don't think I would have had the fever. I had a fever, and my stress poops aren't that watery. They're watery, just not I feel like our listeners don't want to know. You don't want to know about how the, the overall consistency of my shits. On a daily basis. What's the what's the scale? Not the Kinsey scale. <laughs> the 
Bristol Snow Scale? That one. Yeah, I, I ride like a, a five six on Don't the day. Don't stop talking about poop. I was like seven to seven and a half. Stop. <laughs> So, you know how we were just talking about how your upbringing uh, was a very special kind of upbringing? Oh, yes. And I'll get more into that, but go ahead. <laughs> so, we're going to we're going to be the the topic of the podcast today is The Chronicles of Narnia, specifically The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Number 1 or number 2, depending on which order you you subscribe to. Publication order, which is the only real order to subscribe to, it is number 1. Chronologically, it is number 2. Yes. We don't need to rehash that fight. <laughs> <laughs> we always need to rehash the fight. So, uh I'll let you go first, because you actually have more of a connection with this one than I do. Um, so, this is where we talk about how we came to, you know, know the property that we're talking about, right? Trauma with the Bex. So, my mother, growing up, had a very good friend named Barb. And we have our theories about Barb and her sexuality. But growing up in a Christian household, she was single forever until like in her 60s she married a local pastor who was also single forever and i also have questions about his sexuality did either of them have long-term live-in roommates i don't know because i was too young to care uh i don't believe so but anyway aunt barb is how we knew her and it was like a regular thing on friday nights growing up that dad would be working at the bike shop back in the day and mom and aunt barb would take Kristen and i my sister and we would go out and and do stuff and sometimes it was, like, little mystery things. Uh, when we eventually do Matilda, it was, like, the mystery thing was going to see Matilda that night, right? Oh. But one of the nights, we're, we're at the, the local mall, and we're in the bookstore in the corner. I think it was still a Walton Books. It was before Borders oh. bought them out. Oh, I just saw, like, the nostalgia flood into your eyes. And I go towards the back where the, the young adult and the, like, tween... Ten year old. You, know, you were yeah. looking for the latest animorphs. I was looking for the latest animorphs. That's actually where the story is going. <laughs> and Barb is like, "Oh, what are you? What are you reading right now? What are you looking for?" And I was like, going like seeing if there was a new one out. And I had just read the Hork Bajir Chronicles. Uh, and I was like, "Oh, I read this one. I really liked the Hork Bajir Chronicles." And she said, "You know what chronicles you should read? The Chronicles of Narnia." Literally use the word chronicles. Yes. That is how it came to And here's the thing. I'm opening up about... And I, I understand this now. Didn't understand this as a kid. I'm opening up about a thing that I like. And I want to talk about this thing that I like to an adult who seems to care. And her reaction is, you shouldn't read that. You should read this. So I've always had a little bit of a grudge towards the Chronicles of Narnia. You were right. You told me I was not going to guess you why had, you had a grudge. You, you were not going to guess that at all. It's such, a, it's such a petty thing that I've held on to my entire life and continue to hold on to. As I am still, like, I'm almost at the end of my reread of Animorphs. Knowing your... Knowing your childhood, I am genuinely shocked that you were that old before it was broached as a subject for you. Like, ten? Yeah. That's... I was, like, six. It was, yeah. Yeah. I mean... And I, I wasn't even as religious. My household wasn't as religious as yours. I might have known they existed. I think there was a, a full set of all seven already in my house at that point. 
Because I think Barb said something to my mom and they wound up in my bedroom shortly thereafter. Of course. And I, I think I read the first one at the time, but I don't really remember. Because like I said, I was looking for the next Animorphs book. But I don't really remember if I read it then. But then when the movie came out, I gave it another shot. Because this would have been about five, six years after that. I gave it another shot. I think I read through like half of the third one. But I've only really seen the first movie. How did you uh, come to know the Chronicles of Narnia? So, similarly, I had an uncle. Uh, he was married to my aunt. Uh, <laughs> if you didn't say to your aunt, I'd have more questions. <laughs> um, and he was the... Um, you know how we are the prodigal children that escaped our families? Sure. <laughs> my aunt was that for her family. She married my uncle, uh, and just to explain the kind of person my aunt is, my uncle is a house husband because she made so much more money than him, and we're talking 90s money. Good for him. <laughs> so he he worked until they had kids, and then he was the primary caregiver. Um, oh, God, those children are almost adults now. <laughs> Sorry, that's an aside. <laughs> Time is a thing that continues to move. <laughs> So when I, I was always the quiet, I know that's shocking, the quiet reader kid. No. <laughs> so I got a lot of books for birthday and Christmas presents. And I don't specifically remember whether this was a birthday or a Christmas present, but my aunt and uncle got me a complete box set of all of the Chronicles of Narnia. And... I went, it must have been a Christmas present. I'm remembering this now because for my birthday that year, I got a box set of uh, Philip Pullman's His Dark Materials. <laughs> and that giggle <laughs> is, is why we're going we're gonna to be revisiting that when we finally get to His Dark Materials. Oh, we sure are. But the, the juxtaposition of those two series of books being given to me back to back is very funny in retrospect. One is about God and the other is about killing God. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, sudden, I had that sudden flashback because I went to visit my aunt and uncle in Virginia, in far off Virginia where they lived. And um, I had not read any of the books. I had been reading Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe with my mom. Um, but my mom read too slow, so I got bored. <laughs> And to me, I panicked when I went on this trip and to make it look like I was reading through the books, I took a, uh, the horse and his boy. Which is book five. Yes. So to make it look like I had been reading the series but wasn't finished yet, I took the horse and his boy with me and I lost it on the Virginia subway. Is that the box set you had? No. No, the box set I had, it was white, but they were like blue and gold. The okay. lettering. It was like a re-release. I found like a picture of like the seventies ass box that I had. Yeah. With look, it looks like a D and D like first or second edition drawing on it of a kid like sword fighting a knight, and it makes no sense. Satanic panic. Oh god, co-opt that imagery. Finding that image just took me way back, bro. You should drop it on the uh, Twitter. I'll drop it on the Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> So that was a very long-winded way of saying that I actually had never finished The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe before this week. Well, now that you have, would you like to summarize it quickly for us? 
furry Jesus. Um, <laughs> Not that quick. <laughs> there are four children that are sent uh, to live with a professor. Um, I'm not familiar with the mechanics of how the, um, what's the term for it? There was a term for it. Not the kinder transport, but kind of the kinder transport. Um, the, the shuffling of children out of cities in Great Britain. Uh, white flight. (laughs) No, that's, that's now. Um, during, during the worst of the bombing in Britain, um, children were moved out of cities, uh, out of urban centers into the countryside. So the four Pevensey children, Peter, Susan, Edmund, and Lucy, are sent to live with this uh, kindly old professor in his gigantic manor in the middle of the woods. And their first couple of days there, Lucy accidentally trips into a wardrobe and discovers a secret land. Uh, Her siblings promptly do not believe her. Uh, And then the second older brother, her older brother Edmund, also goes into the secret uh, wardrobe magic land and meets a white lady and is beguiled by her uh, because she's very tall. And then they come out again. They end up going, all four of them end up running away from the housekeeper and going into the wardrobe and uh, running into a fantasy war. As you do. Uh, And the white white lady, the white witch that Edmund is beguiled by uh, is Satan, probably. Uh, And she kind of tortures him and he's punished for being for being rude and spiteful. Uh, His older brother is Lancelot, kind of. (laughs) And they meet furry Jesus, uh, Aslan the lion, who is Jesus and also God, and something, something, the the Trinity. They run into Father Christmas, who gives them weapons. Uh, They have to fight a battle, except the girls are off with the reincarnated Jesus lion. And they unfreeze all of the people that were sinning against Jesus Lion. (laughs) And they (laughs) end up uh, winning the battle. And Jesus defeats Satan. And then they become kings and queens of Narnia. And then they end up chasing a stag that's supposed to grant them wishes and end up back in the real world about... Two seconds after they left it and then have to come to terms with the fact that they have to go through puberty again. Sure sounds like you read a fascinating book. Did you know they made it into a movie? I didn't. I had no idea. Do you want to see the trailer for the movie? Of course I want to see the trailer. Then let's watch a trailer. sons of Adam and two daughters of Eve will appear to defeat the White Witch and put an end to this hundred year winter. I think you've made a mistake. We're not heroes. 
There's no mistake. Aslan is on the move. Aslan, we need your help. I know, but understand, the future of Narnia rests on your courage. If it's a war Aslan wants, it's a war he shall get. Numbers far greater than our own. Numbers do not win a battle. No, but I bet they help. create that trailer because there was a lot of cutting that trailer is rough <laughs> so the chronicles of narnia the lion the witch and the wardrobe <clears throat> four posh english children take advantage of their privilege by moving into a large manor in the countryside to avoid the blitz in world war ii while playing hide and seek lucy the youngest accidentally finds a portal to another dimension in the back of a wardrobe where she meets an older man who tries to seduce her and turn her into the government edmund Second youngest follows her back that night and promises the dictator in charge that he'll bring her the rest of his family in exchange for a mediocre dessert. The next day, all four travel to Narnia to escape the consequences of their actions. They learn of a prophecy that says they're all special and they will defeat the dictator and rule over Narnia. Edmund still wants candy, so he goes to turn the rest in. He winds up detained and the rest meet Santa Claus. They all reconvene at a military camp when the rightful King Aslan forgives Edmund and opts to sacrifice himself in Edmund's stead. It doesn't stick because Aslan is actually Jesus and it's an allegory. Get it? Because he's Jesus. Even though Christmas exists in Narnia but the Christ part is never mentioned, it's just Santa and presents are real and the real Jesus is Aslan. But if that's the case, and what's the origin of Christmas? Is it the pagan holidays? Then why do they call it Christmas? Why is it Christmas if Christ is Aslan and he hasn't done the Christ bit yet? I'm sorry, I don't know what happened there. Anyway, they win the battle, Aslan fucks off, the kids form a regal oligarchy and rule over Narnia for a decade. Eventually, they fall back through the wardrobe, our kids again, and get story time with an old man instead of the whooping they deserve for breaking that window. <laughs> Need to take a breath? I'm so mad. I'm so mad. S like the <sighs> Going back to the Amp Barb thing, right? Aunt Barb was a good Christian lady. And part of me thinks she was a good Christian lady because she had to be, because it was her only way of getting into heaven because she was gay. Now, when um, you say good Christian lady, are the G, the C, and the L capitalized? Absolutely. Okay, just confirming. Good Christian lady, TMRC. Um, <laughs> and this movie came out in 2005. I was heavy in my youth group era in church. And it was like the thing. And it never sat right with me when I saw it because I, at this point I was reading Harry Potter and I spent years of hearing good Christian ladies. Uh, uh, oh, no, don't read Harry Potter. That's evil. Cause it's wizards and magic. Read the Chronicles of Narnia, which is fucking magic. 
and wizards. But it's Jesus magic, so it's fine. But it's not Jesus. Like, this is also the era when um, The Passion of the Christ was coming out. I was going to say, and wasn't that also, like, 2005? It was 2004. And then what was the, the Nativity Story was, like, 06, 07. Like, there were Jesus movies coming out. This was the start of that, um... Oh, what's their fucking name? That, that production house in Atlanta. That, that's a church that makes movies. And they oh. did... Like, the first one was Flywheel, and then Facing <laughs> the Giants, and Fireproof was their big one. That was happening at the same time. So in my head, I'm like, this is the good, like, the, the Christian, little perfect Christian boy part of me was like, this is the Christ Christian movie? Like, it seems to me like this lion thinks he's Jesus, but clearly Jesus exists because Christmas exists. Where the fuck, what, what are we talking about here? <laughs> so, I know that famously, Lewis and Tolkien were friends. Mm -hmm. They had like a little, like, society thing they were part of. So much of this book reads like C.S. Lewis going, fuck you, Tolkien. <laughs> fuck you and your world building. I'm going to put whatever the fuck I want into this book and I'm going to make it make sense. What was I yelling when I was like, uh, oh, she's gathering her army. She's like, get the Minotaurs over there. And I'm like, what's up the Minotaur? Like one specific dude? It's like, get the, get the Draculas in that corner and the Frankensteins in that corner. Like, no, shut up. <laughs> what the so, fuck are you doing? <laughs> so there is, uh, similarly in Greek mythology, uh, another podcast that I really enjoy, um, Let's Talk About Myths Baby, has this rant every time someone brings up Pegasuses. Pegasi! Pegasi! She's like, Pegasus was one horse. He was not a breed of horses. It was one horse. <laughs> I didn't even think of that. <laughs> but yes, you are correct. The Minotaur was one dude. No, but there's dozens of them, and they fight in an army for a witch who could turn people to stone with a rod. But don't worry. Magic's okay here because it's an allegory. But also magic's being used by the evil person. What's what's the meme line? Do not cite the dark magic to me, for I was there when it was written, says Jesus. Deep magic. Deep Did magic. I say dark magic? Yes. My mistake. Deep magic. <laughs> yes, uh, I need everyone to know that he thought that was a made-up line. He I thought, thought it, it was, was one of those meme? fucking Tumblr things. <laughs> like, on the same lines of I will walk backwards and I will flip off God while walking backwards into hell. Like, I thought it was in that fucking vein. I didn't realize there was a line from the fucking Chronicles of Narnia. <laughs> yes. So, um... It's interesting because it really you can tell that Lewis is very well educated because he's making references to things like Salinas. He references the fact that Satyr's party with Bacchus and the whole forest goes into a frenzy of revelry whenever Bacchus is around. You know, for kids. <laughs> um Father Christmas is not explicitly the way that he's described is very much like a creature of the Fae. And it's... <laughs> Santa Claus is totally a Fae. And he is told... Uh, it, the implication is that, like, when Peter and Susan and Lucy see Father Christmas in Narnia, he's different than in the real world. He's scary. Like, he's kind, <laughs> he's but different. he's He scary. exists. Sorry, kids, Santa ain't real. Also, if you still believe in Santa and you're listening to this podcast, your parents have some fucking parenting to do. 
Um, so, speaking of things that uh, are problematic in Christianity, I know... Oh, 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 oh. Where do we begin? <laughs> what was the question that I asked you uh, when I was listening to the audiobook? Oh, um... Is it a feature or a bug that every Christian seems to hate women? Are you making me break out theology here to explain? <laughs> yes, because I want you to say it. So this is based uh, solely on uh, what I was taught as a youth in my evangelical non-denominational Christian church. Uh, Cult. <laughs> If you want to call it that, I got out pretty easy. I just had to move 3,000 miles away and uh, the shit with my dad. But that's besides the point. Um, I don't know if I've ever told that story on the podcast. and I don't think I will at this point. So it comes down to Adam and Eve. And the whole Eve is the one who presented Adam with the apple. And I can't remember who takes the first bite. Eve does. But uh, thank you. It never mattered to me as a kid because it all seemed like fucking bullshit. When they're kicked out of the garden, God gives them specific punishments and Eve gets the worst. And like her punishments include having to be subservient to man and having to like childbearing pregnancy pains is part of it. Like the pain of childbearing is a is a uh, curse on women because of Adam and Eve and the apple. And for Adam, it's like, I guess you got to die eventually. In like 850 years also, because time was different really than Yeah, Adam must work. And I don't speak Hebrew or Aramaic or the original languages that was written in. I only speak and read English. And I can only read the translations that are given to me. But I don't know how that's how accurate that translation is to the original language. But I do know that evangelical churches love to push and pull translations in different directions to push their own agendas, which is hilarious considering the um, how they get away with it is, is the first or second commandment is thou shalt not take the Lord's name in vain. And growing up, I only ever heard that as don't say the phrase, oh my God, or Jesus Christ, that's bad. It's like, okay, first of all, oh my God, God is his title, not his name. Second of all, that's not what the fuck that means. What that means is don't say I'm doing this action in the name of God when it is the exact opposite of something that God would want you to do. Like, I don't know, go on a crusade in the Middle East or take rights away from queer folk. Because Jesus, who is God, if you believe the, the whole thing that you're saying, said the most important thing is love God. The second most important commandment is love your neighbor. And if you're using God's name to hate your neighbor, going exact, like, exactly the opposite of what Jesus said to do, that is taking the Lord's name in vain. That is a breaking of a commandment. And that is why I don't longer go to church. <laughs> Sorry, um, I went on a tangent there. But, like, it, it's hand in hand. Like, Also, doesn't, doesn't your uh, former cult specifically ascribe to the belief that the New Testament completely wipes out the Old Testament? Yeah. 
where the Ten Commandments and all of the things that are supposedly against queer folk are found. Yeah, the whole the whole deal is like, oh, Jesus Jesus died for the New Testament. He is the New Testament. The Old Testament is just old rule. We don't listen to those old rules anymore, like the one that says when you poop, you got to go out in the desert and dig a hole and poop in the hole, which is my fucking favorite Bible verse, by the way. Not the one about the, the emissions like horses? No, no. I like the pooping in a hole in the desert. I think I've made my, my love of poop, poop humor uh, pretty clear earlier but it's because like hey do you know anyone who does that no and we live in the desert exactly three chapters later in this motherfucker is the shit about gay people which it's not even about gay people it's not specifically about pederasty in ancient greece specifically about pedophilia not even pedophilia in general it's specifically the practice of pederasty yeah uh, there, no, there, there's, I think, two pieces of scripture. One is specifically about pederasty. The one in the Old Testament is pedophilia. Because there is one in the New Testament. But ah. that's, you know, when you know, Paul was out in ancient Greece doing his missionary work. And that's when that comes into play. Uh, but they loved, in the 50s, translating that to, like, just be like, if any man sleeps with a man, even though the original is, like, if a man sleeps with his daughter, or a man sleeps with his son, or a woman sleeps with her son. Or it was basically about uh, incest ah. and pedophilia. But they just translated that one verse to, if a man sleeps with a man, that's bad. And What about uh, you know, Job's daughters? Yeah, well, they didn't fucking listen. Or wasn't it? No, it was Lot's daughters, wasn't it? It was Lot's daughters, sorry. It was Lot's daughters. Lot's daughters raped him while he was sleeping to bear his children. Uh, I read that book as a kid. I was, I was encouraged to read that as a child. Yeah. Um, so, the other thing that's really interesting... Uh, in regards to... I'll get back to the point about hating women. But um, (laughs) another thing is that C.S. Lewis also specifically cites, I believe, the Apocrypha, uh, because the White Witch is a descendant of Lilith, Adam's first wife. I didn't fucking learn about that shit as a child. I learned about that when I started reading The Sandman by Neil Gaiman. (laughs) I learned about that when I took a class on the New Testament in college because I wanted an easy A and we did not talk about the New Testament I knew. (laughs) (laughs) So back to the point about hating women. Over and over again in this book, C.S. Lewis enforces gender roles in such a it's a for any of the women listening and probably some of the men as well but i'm aiming this primarily at at female or feminine coded people or feminine presenting people there's a very specific type of patronizing advice or tone that you get especially from older men when they're trying to tell you to do something for your own good or mansplain something to you. And this whole book feels like that for Susan and Lucy, which is even more irritating or more insidious when you think about the fact that the dedication is to a little girl named Lucy that he wrote this series for. Yeah. The dedication to this book says that it's to Lucy, whatever her last name is. I don't remember. Pevensey. Not the character. Um, I started writing this this fairy tale for you, but I didn't realize that little girls grow faster than stories. First of all, fuck you. Jesus. Um, and there's more to the dedication where he talks about how, like, eventually you will you'll be at the point where you want to read fairy tales again. And then you can pick this up and tell me what you think of it. 
but it has strong like see uh, 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 Carol. Oh, Lewis Carroll. Yeah. I was like, Lewis doesn't sound right, but it's right. Lewis Carroll writing Alice's Adventures in Wonderland for a little girl. Also a pastor. Weird. Hmm. Um, so you've got that dedication. And then over and over again, um, I will say he does also shit on Edmund a lot, reasonably. Deservedly. Edmund is a little shit. Sure is. For fucking candy. He sold his family out for shitty candy. It's not even good candy. <laughs> There's nothing delightful about a Turkish delight. What's that? What's that Tumblr post that's like, uh, <laughs> I tried Turkish delight for the first time today. Not worth selling out my family's mortal souls for. <laughs> exactly. So over and over again, he does this like quiet thing of putting the girls in their place and putting the boys in their place. Peter is always like, High King Peter, and you're going to have to fight in battle, and you're going to have to do this, and you have to take responsibility and accountability for your actions. And the girls, it's like, oh, I'm going to give you this bow, but don't actually use the bow because um, it won't easily miss, but also girls shouldn't be involved in battle because battle is really scary and dangerous. Like, it's, it's like he's just there to reinforce gender roles. And I think it's fascinating, because this came out in 1950, the book. And that's just after the war ends, right? Mm -hmm. Men are coming back to the U.S. Women are getting kicked out of their factory jobs because the men are back home. Yep. And it feels like part of that propaganda machine of back to the kitchens. Yep. You know, and it's what led to, you know, the real Lucy's generation bringing out, you know, the feminist 70s, that second wave. So... That was the second wave, right? Uh, I might be mistaken yeah. there, but but yeah, that that yeah that bra burning '60s '70s wave of feminism like came from this generation who didn't want to be told what their gender roles were. So we're gonna get into this more later. Later, but canonically, Susan is locked out of heaven for wearing lipstick. <sighs> if that gives you more information about um, what happens. Or where this series goes with results, with the understanding of gender roles. For no reason at all, just a friendly reminder that during the Second World War, a, a popular form of entertainment was men wearing drag and doing shows to entertain other members of the troops. Just saying that for no reason here. Um, <laughs> Unimportant, but fun fact. Yeah, fun fact. Not related to anything. Uh, so, the things you read as children... And the media that you watch as a child is what you are going to internalize. Because you don't realize that you're internalizing things until you're a little bit older. And that's what I think makes this so insidious. Is that it's charming and fun and whimsical. Oh look, Lucy runs into a fawn. And look, they're they're eating dinner with beavers. And Mrs. Beaver is... Oh, she wants to bring her sewing machine, and that's funny and silly, because they're literally running for their lives. But when you have this kind of material that you're reading as a little girl, and again, I, I'm using girl, but I mean anyone who's feminine presenting, mm -hmm. and even as a boy, you're going to see, oh, boys are going to be the ones that fight with swords, and girls are going to be the ones that are healers and take care of people. And that's hard to unlearn yeah and i think that's probably why it didn't really 
sit with me when I was reading it as a kid. Because like I said, I was hard into Animorphs. And a big part of that is... Like, the, the theme of that franchise is what war does to you, even if you're a child. And who's the warrior in the Animorphs? It's Rachel. And that was, like, a lot of media in the 90s and early aughts was, you know, for lack of a better term, girl power. But, like, so much that I was watching was girls can do it, too. And then I go back and I read this this book from the 50s, and it's like, no, you don't get to do it. It's like, wow, that sucks. You're gonna... well, I, I want the girls to have fun, too. They're just... They're just girls. They're not any different. Like, it's it's interesting because it is coming out of like World War II, where it was literally girls can do it too because we fucking need you to. Like Rosie the Riveter. Yeah, it's like you we know? need the bodies. Capitalism, the machines of capitalism must keep churning, so we need your bodies. But then when we're done with you, you need to go back to the kitchen. Yeah, we don't need your bodies anymore. We need these bigger, stronger, masculine bodies. Which is why, like Lucy and Susan, do both also get weapons. Lucy gets a tiny little dagger, and Susan gets the bow and the horn. I don't recall Susan firing her bow in the movie. I think she fires it once, and it like turns into a phoenix or something. Yeah, I think that's true. And Lucy doesn't do shit except for heal Edmund at the end. After he gets stabbed. So, something that's interesting is that... Um, I've seen the movie before. I watched a little bit of it with you last yeah. night. They... The movie has a long run time. Two hours, 29 minutes. I'm pretty sure... Two I- hours and 29 minutes. The audiobook was, what, four hours? Yeah. I listen to audiobooks at 2x speed. Two hours and 29 minutes. I was listening to it at 1.5. I'm pretty sure that it was about the same. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like, wow, what a runtime. Unnecessarily long. They didn't cut shit. They didn't, but they also extended or made they they cinemified it and i think part of that is also like a generational thing like like i said like a lot of media in the early aughts late 90s early aughts was like girl power shit i shouldn't say shit because it's actually like it had a good impact on my life in the long run i think uh consuming that but they definitely uh expanded on susan's character and lucy and gave them more personality more agency as women yeah um than you know the book the book is is interesting because it's like, yes, they're characters, but they're also archetypes. Like, Edmund is the sinner. Mm-hmm. Um, he's also the one that's described as spiteful the most before, of course, he gets reformed by talking to Aslan. Um, Susan... Before he has his confession and is forgiven. <laughs> yes. Um, Peter is always, like, the leader. He always goes first. He always takes care of everyone because else. Because he's the oldest boy and that's his job. Susan is very much a non-entity. Like, she... They take threads of her character, just, like, a little outline, and they build it into a decent character in the movie. Yeah, she has, like, one scene I can think of with Lucy where Lucy says that we used to play and now you're boring. And, like, Peter yells at her and says, you're not trying to be realistic, you're trying to be smart. Yeah, like, they give her at least... Because smart is the worst thing a girl can be. At least a half an extra dimension from the threadbare one dimension she is in the book. And Lucy is the baby, and that's her whole deal, is yeah. that she's the baby. She's she's the one who believes this is possible and therefore finds Narnia. Yes. So, oh shoot, I forget where I was going with that. Archetypes. 
Yeah, no, the thought's gone. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's all right. I lost the thread. It'll come back to you. You lost the the thin thread that was Susan's character. <laughs> There's, <laughs> yes. Uh, so we were talking about gender roles. When are we not talking about gender roles? I mean, specifically in this story. <laughs> um. Oh, and then you've also got uh, the other example of women woman in this is you've got mrs beaver who's literally called she beaver by aslan well i'm not gonna like discredit that too much because our husband's name is just beaver (laughs) and then um the other major example you have is the white witch oh the one woman with agency is the bad guy agency and power and of course she's usurping power from the rightful king a king. Who's been in man, power for a hundred years. Who may also be a deity, it's not clear. Yeah. Also, interesting how he fucks off and just doesn't show up. And that's somehow construed as, like, him going and taking care of other things. But, like, because she is there and ruling. And don't get me wrong, she's not doing a good job. But, like, <laughs> she's there. She is a dictator. Correct. <laughs> Uh, she's also in the book. Uh, she is canonically, like I said, the descendant of Lilith on one side and, uh, the giants on the other, which is why she's so tall, which is very funny. Yeah. That that actually explains a lot. Yeah. Total Swinton was good casting. Yeah. Who would you, who would you cast as her if we were doing it now? Now? Oh, shit. I almost want to do Ru- not RuPaul, uh, <laughs> Laverne Cox. Ooh. Mm-mm-mm. Mm-mm. I wouldn't want to cast a trans person as the bad guy in a Christian allegory. That's a good point. That's that's actually a really good point. No, no, no. Oh, uh, <laughs> and Coulter. <laughs> <laughs> fucking cool. Oh, God. No, I don't know who I would cast now. Like, I almost just want to say, oh, shit, no. Oh, fuck, what's her name? I mean, I mean, Tilda Swinton could still do it. Let's be real. Nah, apparently not because of the long COVID, but that's whatever. Yeah, whatever. Um, oh, what's her name? Um, what has she been in? Uh, Last Jedi. Uh, the one who drives the ship into Laura the thing. Laura Dern? Yeah, Laura Dern. <laughs> yeah, give me Laura Dern. No, but then everyone would side with the white witch. I, that's the problem with the character is that there's like she has no uh, motivation for anything she's doing other than like power and having all the land, which is such a fucking nothing motivation for a villain. It's I mean that's all she has in the book as well. It's nothing. It's fucking it's and excuse me, it's kids shit. And I think that's the problem I have with this this movie is it's it's too kid shit for an allegory of the depth it's trying to be. Not to bring up the turf books, but remember when you get uh, Voldemort's backstory and it's that he literally can, he is a born sociopath because he was conceived by a love potion. He literally does not have the capacity for empathy or feelings. At least it's an explanation. That's like the same level of of white witch. It's just she wants power because power is there. And to be fair, that can be handled well and that can be an interesting thing. But not like, in 2005. Yeah, like I want power is fine. Why? 
what's the why? And there's never a why. Yeah. And for the only female character that's not a literal child following along, it's like, you need something there. And there's a lot of, like, that kind of dichotomy in this movie that really bothered me. Oh, sorry, I forgot. McCready. Who's McCready? She's the housekeeper. The mean housekeeper. Oh, That's the I other could... lady. Oh, yeah. The my, other my... example of femininity. Oh, she's yeah. performing femininity well, and she's still treated as a villain. A nag. Yeah. Right? <laughs> you um, can't win. But yeah, it's like... I guess it's that like dichotomy that it's it's too simplified. Like, so many elements of this are too simplified. And it hurts what it's trying to do. Like, the climax of this movie is a battle, right? And, uh... The director, uh, Andrew Adamson, who also was one of the writers who adapted it, uh, remembered this battle from when he was reading it as a kid, even though, like, most of it's not even in the book. He just remembered it because of the way that the book is written. Like, his brain filled in the gaps, right? And it's something that he wanted to tell because it's how he remembers the story from his childhood. And the battle doesn't work. And it's... Be- because it's for kids. It's PG. This movie's PG, so no blood, right? You have this battle between two armies of fantastical creatures, and you can't have blood, and you refuse to make light of it because you're trying to tell this allegory and you're trying to be a little too serious about it. Because it's the battle of good and evil. This is serious shit. But what I'm seeing is some dude with a minotaur head running through a field in New Zealand, and I'm just completely bored and taken out of it. There's one joke, and it's before any, like, sword clashes sword in the entire battle, and it's the joke from the trailer with the, um, numbers help. Yeah. That's it. That's the only levity in that scene. Like, you need, you you can't have it both ways like that. I think the other thing that's a problem with Chronicles of Narnia, and this is the way the book is written as well, and I get it because it is a Christian allegory, but there are no stakes. You always know that good is going to win. Oh, Which yeah. I get can be comforting as a, as a child, and we are not necessarily the target audience for this. I can understand that. But, like, Lord of the Rings, as much as, as, much as I prefer Lewis's writing, Tolkien goes there and does it well. Boromir, spoilers, Boromir dies at the end of the first one. So I'm now, even... all of a sudden, any member of this fellowship can die. Stakes. We got it. And also, you've got, um thing is you can't do that in a pg movie yeah like the battle of good and evil at the end of uh return of the king the big battle you are scared for those characters because you know that sauron could still win and you've also got like you do have frodo eventually giving in and even like more dark than that you have the scouring of the shire in the books yeah and and the extended cuts it's there so it's, Tolkien was willing to, yes, Tolkien is the same thing where it is good versus evil, and it's very clear who's good and who's evil, but he's still willing to explore that middle ground and make things have stakes. Yeah. Here, Aslan knows exactly what's going to happen from the beginning. Yeah, when he, when he agrees to sacrifice himself, he knows he's not going to die. And we know he's Jesus, He's not going to die. He's Jesus. Well, the other thing is that Aslan um, straight up is telling Peter, like, even before they have Edmund back, he's telling Peter, like, oh, you should do this with the battle and do that 
do that in the battle. You see none of the battle in the books. Yeah. Because you're with Aslan and Susan and Lucy. And you basically, you come back and Aslan jumps the White Witch and kills her. And that's the end of the battle. So much of this book is an anti-climax or like looking away from the climax. Yeah. Well, it's... A book isn't a screenplay, right? Like... That's true. There's that aspect of it as well you gotta consider. But besides that, yeah, like... I don't know how you would do a movie without showing the battle. Like, you can't just have them show up halfway through the battle. Yeah. And then... Uh, No, no, you can build that stakes. Because you can have conversations with Susan and Lucy and cut 20 minutes from the movie. And have them, like... As they're watching Aslan and mourning his corpse, like... Are Peter and Edmund okay? We don't know what's going on. And you can have the sounds of battle. That come is in what the happens in like, the book. That would almost work. That would build more stakes and build more tension in the climax of this movie than just seeing, you know, a bunch of dudes in costumes run out of, at each other with rubber swords and then some bad CG backgrounds that aren't composited properly. Like, and ooh, that irked me. <laughs> um, what was I going to say? Something about... The, oh, the movie also artificially adds stakes where, which I shouldn't say it artificially adds stakes, but it adds stakes in events that don't happen. Like, the wolves never see any of the children. The The fox is not a character. That's The fox doesn't exist. They're never running away from them across a frozen river. But how else are they going to pad this required two-hour, 29-minute runtime? <laughs> I'm so bitter about that. This is a fucking kids movie. What like I when I was fifteen and it came out, I didn't have the energy to sit down and watch this whole thing more than once. What Harry Potter movie were we on at that point? Two thousand five Goblet of Fire. That would have been the longest they yeah, were running that. But long. they they had the fucking text to pull from. They still cut things from Goblet of Fire to bring it down to two and a half hours. Well the they it's were not, also much longer books. This at is least two hundred and three. Yeah, at least it's not as egregious as turning the Hobbit into three fucking movies. So, the other thing that I want to talk about is the fact that the ending of this movie is a fucking horror movie. Oh my god, it sure is. You, they spend 15 years in Narnia becoming kings and queens. Like, Lucy's getting marriage offers. That's how old they are at the end of this movie, or at the end of this book. And then they're chasing the stag. The same stag from the first chapter. And... Wait, the stag's in the first chapter? Reference, yes. It's one of the stories that uh, Lucy tell. It's one of the stories that Thomas tells Lucy. is about the white stag that grants wishes. I, I have no memory of this. Yeah. And... They're chasing this stag, and they come back to the lamppost, and they only vaguely remember that they used to be from our earth and they push their way through the forest chasing this stag and they see the lamppost and then they push their way through these coats and they tumble out onto the floor back in their child bodies terrifying you have spent 15 years growing and you have to do it again you are a king, and now you've got a bedtime? I can't be surprised that in the, the mid-credits scene, Lucy tries to go back to Narnia. She's like, absolutely not. I was hot. What's going on? 
there's a, there's a very good piece of fanfic. I believe it is called In Defense of Susan Pevensey. And it talks about this and what that does to them. Being an adult and then being a child again. And to an extent, the second movie does this as well. We're probably... I don't know if we're going to cover it or not. In a pinch, maybe, but probably not. Like, it talks about how Peter all of a sudden has gotten this terrible temper. And everyone else attributes it to puberty. And Susan and Lucy and Edmund all know it's because he used to be a fucking king. And now he's a goddamn 14-year-old boy again. Now imagine you used to be a queen and you're a 13-year-old girl in the 40s. Yeah. That's a fucking nightmare. Yeah. (laughs) Fuck that noise. Yeah, it's... Not great. Like, it definitely, like, scratched that itch in my... Like, I did, when I finished reading that, uh, moved on to the second one immediately. Because it scratched that itch in my head of, like, multidimensional time travel shit. Which is a specific niche that I enjoy. Uh, I'm sure I talked about it enough when we did the time machine. Nerd. Nerd, I know. I'm a fucking nerd. Deal with it. I'm a nerdy white guy with a podcast. But, uh, yeah, it, as an adult, I don't want to wake up tomorrow and be 13 again. I Fuck might kill noise. myself. I wanted to kill myself already at 13. I'm just... So <laughs> Too real? <laughs> so, uh... Shoot, I don't know. My thought process is gone again. You want to talk about the movie? Yeah, let's talk about the movie. Uh, Directed by Andrew Adamson, who had previously directed Shrek and Shrek 2. (laughs) I didn't realize that was him. I know, right? This had uh, two writers and an additional writing team on it. Uh, The first writer was Anne Peacock. She didn't even have a wikipedia article uh but she'd worked on uh knights and rodanth and uh Kit kittredge and american girl which might be a future episode of the pod oh no uh second writer was andrew adamson who also wrote you know shrek 2 and prince caspian that's about all this guy did to be real uh and then the writing team was christopher marcus and stephen mcfeely who did the first three captain america movies as well as avengers uh infinity war and avengers endgame Wow, okay. (laughs) Someone got poached. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Peter was played by William Mosley. We'll talk a little bit more about him later. Uh, Susan was played by Anna Popplewell. Edmund was Skander Keens. Of course his name is Skander. Skander Keens. And Lucy was played by Georgie Henley. Aslan was voiced by Liam Neeson himself. Gangs of New York, Schindler's List, Taken, The Grey... Oh, you know. I forgot about... Why does he always hate wolves? Holy, the gray is fucking good, though. <laughs> it's more than just him punching a wood, uh, punching a wolf with broken glass in his hands, like, at the end. Like, that's the whole movie there. Uh, the White Witch, as we uh, previously mentioned, was Tilda Swinton, uh, Oscar winner for Michael Clayton. She also did a previous episode, Asteroid City. Ah, oh, this is not her first appearance on the pod. Oh, no, Asteroid City. First appearance on the main feed. Main feed, yeah. And Mr. Tumnus was played by James McAvoy who later went on to do Wanted, uh, X-Men First Class, and future episode, His Dark Materials. Uh, he's also in other future episode, Atonement. Oh, boy. <laughs> Speaking of World War II movies. <laughs> We're never going to run out of episodes, are we? <laughs> no. Uh, that's all the cast I pulled. Most of like the animal voice actors were just career voice actors or like producers. Like, what was it, Steve? No, Philip the Horse was Philip. just one of the producers. 
who I think I read was like like the manager of C.S. Lewis's estate or something. Like he's C.S. Lewis's grandkid or something. Oh, interesting. I've got more family to talk about later. <laughs> um, I will say the one thing that I looked up because I thought the casting for the older versions of the kids was done really well. Mm-hmm. Uh. Georgie Hensley's older sister was, was adult Lucy. Lucy. Yeah. Which is, it's fun and charming. I didn't look at them because they're only in that one scene. I didn't get yeah. really care. I enough. just thought it was fun. Um, little bits of trivia. You know what we always like? A little method directing. Oh, no. How do you method direct on this? Very simple. Very simple. Because you're working with child actors, you got to manipulate kids to get good performances. And I will say, the performances were all pretty good. It helps that they're all very cute. They have the little chubby cheeks. Yes. Uh, For uh, Georgie Henley, she did not see the Narnia set until cameras were rolling. And she did not see James McAvoy in full makeup until cameras were rolling. That's good. I like that. This movie actually won an Oscar for uh, makeup. And probably because of Tumnus. He was CG from the waist down because of the, the legs. But like the face and the ear, like the ears were remote controlled. Like everything was physically there. Yeah, really, really solid makeup work. And, uh, I mean, what do you expect from the B team at Weta? Like, you're still going to get quality. (laughs) The B team at Weta is better than the A team most other places. Exactly. Like, Weta... Weta had its fingerprints all over this. Like, they shot in fucking New Zealand. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) Tax credits. Like, if this movie was made ten years later, Taika Waititi would have played fucking Tumnus. Oh my god, he would (laughs) have. No, he would have played Beaver. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's a shame they couldn't get Andy Circus to play the fox, right? Oh man. Not really any menaces on this set. Oh, sorry. Before I get into that, uh one more bit of method directing. The last child they cast was Edmund, and that was intentional. Because it was I think 2 weeks the other 3 kids were bonding before Edmund got to set. So that added that friction there. A little something for the actors to play with. And Adamson, the director, would egg this on. Skander hated being hugged. So he would tell the kids to hug him. That's so fucked up. <laughs> it's so messed up. And it's going to explain something later because, oh my god, you won't see it coming. Uh, but uh, no real menaces. But, you know, you're on a film set. You're going to be cussing. So... Little Georgie Henley, little Lucy, set up swear bucket. <laughs> Did it pay for her college? <laughs> well, like, they all went to fucking Oxford, so something had to. Oh, I forgot. They're in English. They're so all, it was like 200 They're bucks. all, like, when I said posh English children, I was talking about the fucking actors. <laughs> uh, the worst offender was James McAvoy. Of course it was. Uh, William Mosley, who played uh, Peter, uh, convinced uh, little Edmund to try some of the sugar glass. From the opening scene. And uh, this one, this one's for me. It was after he bit into it that he realized it was made of silicon and not sugar. I've done the same thing. I uh, got to do a short film. I don't know if it ever got released because I never saw it, but it's been like 10 years. And in the short film, I had a, a sugar glass bottle broken over my head. And it was a really fun shoot day at Lake Balboa. And I was like, I gotta try it. And I took a shard of the broken glass and I crunched down on it in my teeth and it, not fun. Not fun. That's a taste that sticks with you. It don't taste good. So I felt, I felt for him there. And that's the only place I felt for him. Oh no, did he turn out to be a shithead? 
Evanescence lead singer Amy Lee wrote a song for the movie, but they did not include it in the soundtrack. That one's for you. You know, this would have been around the time that they were, like, stepping away, officially stepping away from the Christianity. I had a flashback of a song that I haven't heard in ten years while watching it uh, that Reliant K did for the soundtrack. <laughs> it's like, oh my god, that's right, they did this fucking thing. Uh, you know what else we love here? Some alternate casts. Ooh, all right, all right, all right, all right. All right, White Witch. I've only got three names here, but they're all fucking bangers. Kate Winslet. Ooh, okay, okay. Michelle Pfeiffer. Oh, she looked... Her face is too round. She would be so good, but her face is too round. She nailed it in Stardust. So it would have been in that same same kind of vibe. And Nicole Kidman... She does play an unfeeling bitch in future episode of the Pod Golden Compass, so... There we are. Uh, Would that have been around the same time? As Golden Compass? Yeah. Golden Compass, I think, was 07, so yeah, it was was in the same same wheelhouse. Uh, Aslan, they originally cast Brian Cox, but he had to drop out. Why do I recognize that name? That's not... I mean, he's in success. He, He was just in Secession. Um, he was William Stryker in X2, Agamemnon in Troy. Oh, him! Okay. Yeah, he's been, he's been in a fuck ton. He's one of those, I feel like he's one of those character actor guys that has finally, like, ascended recently because of Secession. Yeah. Um, two directors. M. Night Shyamalan turned it down. Probably for the best. There's no twist. (laughs) What a twist? There's no twist. And, uh... Guillermo del Toro turned it down. Oh, I would pay so much money. I think he turned it down for Pan's Labyrinth, if I'm not mistaken. Um, But the reason he turned it down that he said is he's a lapsed Catholic, and he couldn't see himself bringing Aslan the Lion back to life. (laughs) I also can't see Guillermo del Toro bringing Aslan back to life. That's... But can you imagine his Narnia? Oh my god. He would lean into the horror movie aspects of it. He really would. Although, I, I feel like his Narnia would be, like, visually stunning. Yeah. It wouldn't be... Because this one is a lot of, like, matte paintings digitally composited on green screen actors. There's yeah. a lot of that, and it's not done very well in some shots. He would have done it practical. He would have had a physical matte painting on that set. Yeah. And it would have looked fucking gorgeous. I just, I just have that feeling he would have nailed the look. But I completely respect his desire to not. Yeah. I also think the, the source material is a little too light for him. Yeah. There would have been like a, a gritty, dark, twisted element to it that I don't think is necessarily what they were going it's for. It's not what Disney was looking for. It Like, it's a PG kids movie that launched, or that uh, released in December. Like, it is, yeah. So, our favorite new segment Whenever we're dealing with child actors. Oh, no. Where are they now? Oh, boy. I'm actually curious. How young were, like, Peter and Susan? Because I feel like those actors were were probably mid-teens. They were, like, 16, 17. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Peter. William Mosley continues to act, uh, most notably as Prince Liam in The Royals. He was also struck by lightning in 2014 on set. Oh, no! Susan, Anna Popplewell, continues to act, notably as Lola in CW's Rain. She was also, or she's also been narrating audiobooks since 2018. Neat. Lucy, 
Georgie Henley continues to act, notably as Margaret Tudor in The Spanish Princess. She also nearly died of necrotizing fasciitis in 2022. Good God! What is happening to these children? They're all playing royals and almost dying. All except one. Oh no. Edmund. Skander Keynes, the great-great-great-grandson of Charles Darwin, acted until 2014. Then, he served as a parliamentary advisor to Crispin Blunt, who was a Brexiteer and was arrested for rape charges in 2022. Skander Keynes? No, Crispin Blunt. But (laughs) Edmund... Did you learn nothing from the plot of this movie, the Edmund? Other, it's it's so perfectly mirrors the plot where the other three kids are like, we're going to go to Oxford and we're going to keep acting and we're going to play royals in these TV shows. And he's like, fuck it. Going into government. I'm a Tory now. Oh, no. I should have guessed it. He even has a villain name. Fucking wild. His like family thing on Wikipedia, there's like 18 different names that are blue. <laughs> Because he is such a Nepo baby. Like, I think his dad was a professional cricketer. Like, oh my god. So, because we will likely not do uh, the the future of these... What, you don't want to hear me complain through the Dawn Treader? Do you want to do a very rare and and fun where are the characters now? Absolutely I do. So I referenced earlier that Susan uh, is locked out of heaven because she wears lipstick. Um, I'm gonna need some more details on that. <laughs> so uh, the next book uh, in the series is uh, Prince Caspian. Mm-hmm. Uh, it takes place one year in our time. 1,288 years of Narnian time later. (laughs) Great. Uh, The kids end up going back to Narnia um, and uh, helping to end the dark times after their rule and... A thousand years of darkness. (laughs) It's okay, they got 15 years of light. It's fine. Uh... (laughs) Yep, that no one remembers because it was a millennia ago. So, uh, there's, there's the Dark Ages of Narnia, they help Prince Caspian ascend to the throne, and the end of that book is basically Susan and Peter are not allowed to come back because they are now too grown up. Womp womp. And it is in the next book, uh, Dawn Treader, that, uh, Edmund, Lucy, and their cousin Eustace Scrub end up <laughs> coming back for Dawn Treader. Is there a more British name than Eustace Scrub? Skander Keynes, apparently! <laughs> You're right, Skander Keynes. But Lucy berates Susan because Susan, because she is now, you know, an adult woman, starts wearing lipstick and nylons. And that apparently disqualifies you from going to heaven. So as of the end of the series in the last battle, Susan's ultimate fate is unknown. She, we don't know what happens to her. Hell, I guess. You'll notice the other three, Peter... Edmund and Lucy, I didn't mention them, but I can mention them all at once because they, along with their parents, die in a train crash. Well, at least dad survived the war. They die in a train crash, which means canonically, Peter, Lucy, and Edmund 
go back to the real Narnia and not the shadow Narnia that they created by leaving the first time. The Dark Ages, Prince Caspian, and everything else is a fake Narnia that they created by leaving at the end of this book. Ugh, what the fuck, Lewis? So now that they're dead, they get to go to heaven. But not Susan. Because she, she wears lipstick. lipstick. Christ. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm taking the Lord's name in vain here. Also, let me just double check, because I think Eustace might get to go as well. <laughs> to heaven or hell? <laughs> to heaven. Good for you. I think, like, I think I stopped at Don Treader when I was reading, because I was like, oh, Peter and Susan aren't here? Who the fuck is Eustace? Eh, fuck the shit. What's, what's Jake and Marco and Rachel and Cassie up to? No. Nope. Has Tobias found his mom yet? Like... Eustace Scrub, not mentioned after uh, Age of Exploration. Fantastic. so would you recommend this book to your peers to my peers no sorry mel to my peers no if you have a kid that you're reading it with yes if you're like a parent and you're looking for something that's mildly entertaining sure go right ahead um it's not bad. Like I said, I prefer Lewis's writing to Tolkien's. Um, it's a lot less dry, but it's still not. It's still 50s writing. Yeah. What about you? Do you recommend uh, this movie? <laughs> it's so long. It's unnecessarily long. If If you've got kids and you're going on a long car trip... Fuck it, throw it on, like in the back seat. Give them, give them the iPad, boot it up on Disney Plus. Have at it. It's as an adult watching it. Just as an adult, there's not enough there for me to really grab onto, besides like the obvious allegory stuff. And I think I've made my view on that clear. Like it's, it can be done in a better setting than a kid's fairy tale. Let a kid's fairy tale be a kid's fairy tale. It's it's just it's it's so heavy-handed. I feel like if you want this story just watch Lord of the Rings. Yeah, honestly, if if you got a kid who's 8 or older, The Fellowship of the Ring is dead. Like, it's the same length, it's a better movie. I'm really? It's only 220? The original Fellowship? Yeah. I think I think the non-extended cut, yeah. Dang, I didn't realize it was that short. Like the extended cut's only like 250, I think. Uh, <laughs> That's a superhero movie. Two fifty-eight. <laughs> My bad. Two hours and fifty-eight minutes. <laughs> Although I don't know if that is the extended or extended that. or not. Yeah. But still, like it's it doesn't feel much longer. It's because it's such it's it's a much better you're, movie. You're packing so much more into the same space, and you're hitting like a lot of the same. I don't want to say themes, but a lot... Yeah, sure, themes. Like, that sense of adventure that, um, like... Posh little rich twats that go on an adventure they have no reason the, to go on. The fish out of water doing the thing. Like, you know what I mean? And it's, like... Weirdly enough, the effects in Fellowship hold up better. I feel like the other thing where Lord of the Rings succeeds is that they're not special. 
the characters here are the characters in Chronicle of Narnia are they're dumped in this land and immediately treated like royalty, and it's like no, that's no. Yeah, and it's like, where's the? Okay, yeah, two hours fifty eight theatrical for Fellowship, three hours twenty eight extended. I was wrong. Um, but yeah, like where where's the fucking? What are you teaching a kid with that? If you show up in the new place and you're just treated like. A god. Like, at least, at least in the turf book, some of the people are mean to him. Yeah, at least, yeah, at least his fucking stepbrother kicks the shit out of him for ten years. He's, even in, even in the wizarding world, Oh, yeah, fucking Draco wants to, like, murder him. Yeah. Like, people try. Like, at least people are mean to him. Yeah. He's still an annoying little shit. Yeah, he's gotta learn, like, how to function as a member of society still. I feel like, ultimately, the problem with Chronicles of Narnia is that it's trying to be a fairy tale that he's hiding an allegory in, and it doesn't work. It it just doesn't he's, click. It doesn't fit He properly. doesn't give enough depth to the characters to make it not... It's like taking a piece from one jigsaw puzzle and trying to use it in another. Like, there's yeah. a plate... Like, and, and I'm thinking specifically of the Aslan Sacrifice Resurrection scene, where it's so heavy-handed. Like, even the stone table cracking is, like, a biblical thing it's a, it's a reference to the curtain being torn in two in the temple um like it's so heavy-handed for like 10 minutes but it's not it doesn't fit in what the rest of the movie is trying to do it feels like the movie doesn't quite know what its tone is yeah i mean it, it kind of it, it keeps a uh, steady tone the tone is consistent throughout it's just the story element and specifically the the christ allegory just doesn't really fit. And I'm sure there's a way to do it to make it work, but what they did wasn't it. So I think we're about wrapped up here. Yeah. So you might notice that in two or so weeks, we're going to be in February. Right in, right in February. I want to say February... I want to say 5th, but that's... Right? Like February second, seventh. Ah, no, eighth. I mean, Whatever. We could literally. Look I could at the look at a calendar, but that would be work. But uh, you might notice that the that's pretty close to a holiday. Yeah, in February. The Valentine's Day. Yeah. You know the romantic one. Uh huh. So why not dig into you know the master of classical romance, William Shakespeare, with his seminal work. Checks notes. Warm bodies. <laughs> We're gonna go straight from Christianity to zombie. Let's go. I need a little zombie. Hey, there's some zombieism in Christianity. I mean, Jesus came back from the dead. Don't worry. Isaac Marion has some philosophical thoughts he wants to put into you. Who the fuck is Isaac Marion? Guy that wrote the book. Oh, I have no idea. I've only seen the movie. <laughs> <laughs> almost hey. like it's perfect for this podcast hey. but until then uh, you can check us on our on our socials check our link tree in the description below um, is it the description below this isn't YouTube in the description on your podcast player <laughs> your, your pod machine <laughs> your your casticle nope don't like that don't like that one either uh, but uh, yeah until then uh, be happy be healthy, be safe, read more books, watch more movies, 
fuck more women. No. Steal their gold. No. I'm I'm half remembering like a quote from Conan the Barbarian now. <laughs> <laughs> that is not a future episode of the pod. Are you sure? I will fight you. <laughs> you fight me with a big broadsword? Yes, let me go get it. Thank you.